Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. Today, we're going to land this plane on overflow. We've been talking about fruits of the Spirit, really the fruit of the Spirit, since December. And uh, so we started off love, joy, peace over Advent season. Uh, and then we're going to end today with self-control. This is Galatians 5, through 23. Paul, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So Paul tells us it's the fruit of the Spirit. These aren't the fruits of the Spirit, which means all of these are a package deal as you follow Christ and you become more like Jesus. He's going to give you all of these. Because we look at them and we're like, oh, I'm pretty good at that. Like, I feel like I'm not garbage at that one. Like, I'm, you know, but that one, I'm pretty terrible. Like, I'm probably never going to be good at that, right? So we begin to excuse away our development and our growth and even the gift that God's given us in the Holy Spirit. And so today we're talking about self-control. Self-control, which is probably not the most popular uh, of the, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. And so this is 2 Timothy 1, 7. It says that God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power of love and self-control. And it's a gift that he gives us. And it's attached to, 2 Timothy attaches it to power, love. Here's how important it is. And when you hear things like power or love, we're like, yeah, hit me with some power. Let's go. Like, I'm about that. Or love is a great felt need. Self-control is like, okay, cool. Yeah, you know, but like, but it's a really key ingredient to the Christian life and what it means to become more like Jesus. Because the reality is, is if you're like me, you're really bad at managing and or in your own effort, strength, willpower, kind of controlling your own effort. So it doesn't matter if it's eating or drinking or sex. It can be TV, social media, chocolate. It could be spending money. It could be accumulating stuff. It could be anything left unrestrained in your life. Even good things that God gave us uncontrolled can ruin your life. That's the whole idea is the idea is really just and this is part of the reason coming off of 21 days of prayer. Why we do 21 days of prayer and fasting is to really kind of starve the flesh a little bit and build some control back in our life and just say no to things that aren't even good things, but they could be potential distractions in a season where, hey, let's just, my soul needs a minute. Like, I don't need to listen to the news or watch TV all the time or be on my phone all the time or eat, you know, overindulge. It's like basically starve the flesh a little bit so you can experience more of what God has for you. Self-control is a really big part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. In broader culture, self-control is not that popular. So, like, I, if I want it, Go get it. You know what I mean? Even if I can't afford it. If I want to do it, just go do it. If I don't want to do it, I don't do it. That's kind of where majority of people are in headspace. But so many of us desire growth. And we want certain things for our lives that maybe we're not currently experiencing. So it could be relationships. You want to level up in relationships. Or it could be financial health and freedom. Or it could be physically. There's some healthy things that you just want to experience in your body. And especially at the first of the year, coming, it's wild that it's February. But especially on the front end of the year, we make resolutions and goals. And we're just like, I'm going to crush this this year. And then around day, I don't know what day it is for you, around day 23, I like lack resolve. All right? So I'm just like, whatever. And just so, um, and so because in my own strength and in my own effort and willpower, I'm just not... I'm just not that good, and, and you're not either. And so um, why is it that so many of us, we have great intentions, but we find it hard to make the changes 
in our lives that we want. And so I felt like this, maybe you felt like this too, where like I know the right thing to say, I know the right thing to do or think, or it's like I know the right, and that's like I still can't make myself, you know, do, do the thing that I know is the right thing to do. And that can be a frustrating thing when it comes to being a Christ follower is to try and, because majority of us, this is, this is where we, this is how we grew up, is just this religious mindset of I've got to be good and not bad. I got to do good things and not bad things. And yet, you really can't in your own strength and effort. Paul, the same guy who gives us Galatians 5, he gives us this passage in Romans 7. Romans, uh, 7. This is verse 15, 18, and 19. So this is Paul who has had like, I don't know what your salvation story is like, but it's not as cool as his. So like he's had an encounter with like risen Jesus. Like he's literally, unless you have had an encounter with risen Jesus literally in front of you, let me know after service if you've had that moment. But he, this is the moment that Paul had. He's blinded. He's on the road to Damascus. He's just like radically saved. And God gets a hold of this guy's heart. He spends three years, even though he's an expert in the law, of spiritual formation just to become ready for who God wants him to become so he can plant churches and lead and write and do all the things he's doing. And then God uses this brother to like resurrect people from the dead. That's in there. He wrote over one-third of your New Testament in your Bible. Kind of a big deal. Here's what he says in Romans 7. He says, I don't really understand myself. I love this so much. I'm like, thank you. Right? He's like, I don't understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't do it. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I end up doing that anyway. This is that Paul who wrote, again, one-third of your New Testament, who God used to resurrect people from the dead, who Jesus met in physical form. And I love it so much that God leaves this in Scripture and gives this to us because it reminds us of the humanity of Paul. Because sometimes we can, like, treat him as if, like, like, he just reminds us he's human. But also, and this is something we talked about even yesterday, Brooke and I, we were talking about the fact that um, for any mature follower of Jesus that I know, they are both humble and acutely aware of their sin. And so Paul was marked by that. The fact that, man, I know who I am, like, in my, in my flesh and, like, my predispositions to struggle. And so that's how he starts off. And here's, here's the problem when we stay in that headspace where we're focused on our inability to kind of do what we can do in our own strength. He goes on to verse 24. He said, what a miserable person I am. I am miserable. He says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Paul knows the answer. He's being a little dramatic here. But he, but he's just like, he teases us up. Who will free me, right, if I am just stay in this space where I'm trying to manage my own sin? And so today as we talk about self-control, this last fruit of the Spirit, it's important because Paul says in Galatians 5, with love, uh, just like love, self-control, they all the fruits touch. So love is a key ingredient. You can't be kind. You can't be gentle. You can't really be who it is that God wants you to be in any of the other expressions of his character and his virtues if you're not loving. Same thing for self-control. I can't be patient if I don't have self-control. I can't be kind. I can't be gentle. So it, it's so important. It, it touches every single other fruit. Here's the definition of self-control that I love. It says self-control is choosing what you want most over what you want now. It's delayed gratification. Again, it's, it's you're going to say no to some things because there's a better yes. There's things that you want for your life. More importantly, there's things that God wants for you that instead of choosing the thing right in front of you that you know isn't his will, 
Let me say no right now so I can have a better yes later to the things that God wants from me. It reminds me of a famous experiment. Uh, there's a guy named Walter Mitchell who was an Ivy League professor, and over 50 years ago he did this. It, it's, everybody knows about it, but it's this experiment where he brought a bunch of five-year-old kids into the room, and they filmed them one at a time. They brought them into a room by themselves, and uh, they put them at a table, and then they put a marshmallow on the table looked at the five-year-old and they said, all right, we're going to leave for 15 minutes. We'll be back. When we come back, if the marshmallow's still there, you get two. Oh, hey. All right, cool. I get two. 15 minutes. I got this. And they put the marshmallow there and then they leave and then they film the kids and the kids are just like, like they're freaking out. Like they're squirming in their chairs and some of them are sniffing it. Some of them are picking it up, like rubbing it on them. You know, it's like, and then some of them are just like avoiding it all together. Like, I'm just not going to look at it. You know, like throw it across the room, whatever. Some of them make it and they don't eat the, the marshmallow. They come back in. Awesome. Now you got two. Again, g- delayed gratification. How much, how much did you want the two versus the one? And then some of them, they cave. You know, and here's what the study found. Because they tracked these kids over the course of their life. And the New York Times wrote this on the report. It says, famously, preschoolers who waited the longest for the marshmallow went on to have a higher SAT score than the one who couldn't wait. In later years, they were in better health. They were thinner. They earned more advanced degrees, used less cocaine, which I'm trying to decide why cocaine. Why is that a metric? Like, why is that? How much cocaine usage was going on in order for that to be? They used less cocaine. Anyway, so I was wild. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. So anyway, and coped better with stress. And these first marshmallow kids, they now enter into their 50s. They're actually older than that now. And Mr. Mitchell and colleagues are investigating whether the good delayers are richer, too. And so parents are freaking out, right? Because they're like, my kid ate the marshmallow. Like, their life is ruined. <laughs> oh, what are we doing? Like, we, you know, and it's, ah, it's, she gets it from your side. You know what I mean? Like, they're just like, and so, um, but, then, but then he goes on, Mr. Mitchell. Here's what he says to the group. He says, listen, whether they eat the marshmallow at age five or not, it isn't your destiny. Self-control can be taught. And I think it's so good and so important for us to, to be mindful of that because um, sometimes we just feel like it can't be taught. I can't get any better in this area. I can't grow. And there's things that you and I can do in our own, like we can build habits and there's things that you and I can do in our own strength. But here's what's so cool about this fruit of the spirit. It's even better than you like working out every day. Or, like, it's, it's even better than whatever you can do in your own strength. It's literally transforming you from the inside out. So when they did that study with the kids, some of the kids, in order to cope with the study and get the second marshmallow, they decided to avoid the temptation altogether. I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to smell it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to imagine eat. Like, and they just moved it all together. And this whole idea of fleeing from temptation, it's a biblical Concept, too, is like Jesus tells us, hey, flee from temptation. But even better, even better than just kind of managing your sin and always fleeing from temptation, which you should do, but it's even better than that in that he desires to transform our heart in such a way that it's not mine to mitigate or manage, but he just transforms me from the inside out so that things are just not tempting. Like that's what God desires to give us over to when it comes to self-control is, is just, again, power, love, and self-control is what he desires for our life. Um, 
And so I've been reading and thinking and praying through like this whole idea of self-discipline and self-control. And I just see time and time again for people who have made a marked difference in our community or in our nation or in our world over the course of history, it's always people who start with this whole idea of self-discipline and self-control. Harry Truman, he says this, in reading the lives of great men, I found that the first victory that they won was over themselves. Self-discipline with all of them came first. And so if you're going to do the things that God desires for you to do and make the impact that he desires for you to make, um, the call on your life is so great. And you and I settle every single day for the things that he wants for us. Instead of the things that he wants for us, we settle for what's immediate gratification or pleasure that we just kind of cave on. And so it reminds me of um, Esau in Scripture, if you remember Esau. So Jacob's older brother Esau, he, uh, he has the birthright, which means he gets the family inheritance. It means he has all the influence in the family. It means his future is set. Basically, he's going to take the baton. But Jacob, being Jacob, has decided to strike a deal. So Esau's out in the field one day. He comes in. He is starving. Jacob's made some soup. And he looks at Jacob. He's like, give me some of that soup. That smells so good. Jacob's like, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. And then he's like, no, give me some. And he says, okay, here's the deal. If you give me your birthright, I'll give you some. And then Esau's like, okay. And so he gives him his birthright for some soup. And we read that story in Scripture, and we're like, what a moron. Is this guy, like, so crazy? Except you and I do the same thing every single day where we prostitute the future that God wants for our lives for immediate gratification now, for whatever the thing is right in front of us. So instead of the thing that I want most, I'm going to settle for the thing that I want right now. And, and if you had it to put on paper and say, hey, here's the priorities of my life, here's the goals, here's the things I really want to be about, you wouldn't make the decisions that you're making in that immediate moment. Esau, he teaches us that. So, like, how do we do it? Like, how do, why do we lack the ability to do what we set out to do? So many of us, we want similar things, but we end up with tremendously different results. And so people don't set out, like people don't go to get married and they're like, I, here's my goal. I really want to get divorced four times by the time I'm 40. I want to break that record. Whatever that record is, I want to break it, right? Nobody does that. Everybody desires to stay married. Everybody desires a great relationship. Everybody desires the same thing at the outset. The same thing when it comes to being healthy. People are not like, I just really desire to be unhealthy. I just want to be winded from like going up one flight of stairs. That's my goal in life is just is like not be able to play with my children because I'm, you know, afraid of having a heart attack or whatever. Or like the, or, or financially, I just really, I want to live paycheck to paycheck. Like, I just really want to feel that grind. I just want to paycheck. I don't want to be financially free. I don't want to be able to bless people or be generous. I just, my goal, if I could be bankrupt in three years, that would be great. Nobody, everybody sets off. We're all setting out on the same thing, and yet we have different results. A lot of those results are attached to discipline, are attached to control. And again, there's certain things that you and I can do in our strength, and then there's certain things that God desires to give us that are just supernatural, even greater than what we can do in our own strength. And the whole idea is that what you and I say, it doesn't determine who we become. What, what we do determines who we become. So this is the frustrating thing that people have with the Christian, the Christian life is like, man, there's a difference between what we say, lip service about what we believe and who we're called to be as Jesus followers. This is who I am versus the way that our lives look. Hey, if you want real transformation, do it. There's a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible, a lot about Jesus, who don't look anything like Jesus because they won't apply the Bible. And the, the, the transforming power of Scripture is not in reading it and knowing it. It is applying it. 
It's reading it and letting it read you and be like, oh, dang, I got to do that, don't I? And it's like, and then putting it on and trusting God with whatever it is that's next. And so hoping to have a better life doesn't bring a better life. Trusting God by obeying him and then building habits that honor God bring you a better life. And, and our willpower just doesn't work. Your strength, your effort, your own ability to like manage your sin, your willpower doesn't work. Willpower is like a muscle. It's like a muscle that we work. We work it too hard. We get fatigued and its power begins to fade. Right? So it's like you're, you're doing a good job in your own strength, your own effort. You're like, I made it three months. I'm doing really good. And whatever it is that you got your goal set on or your eye, eye on self-control. But then at some point, eventually, you're just like you cave and you're like, I started with one donut, and now, like, I ate the whole box of donuts. Like, what happened with, and, you know, so, but willpower doesn't hold up. And it's a problem for the Jesus follower because we know that what we're supposed to be about in following Jesus. We're supposed to do good. We're supposed to be kind. Again, fruit, fruits of the Spirit. We're supposed to be kind, supposed to be generous, supposed to love people, not make them a means to an end, not cut people off in traffic, not cuss them out. Right now, I'm not going to lie to others. I'm not going to lust after things or people. We're supposed to pray, read scripture, apply it, trust God, love others. But then what do we do? We give in. Because, again, in your own strength, you're not, that, you're not that good. I'm not either. And so we're consistently frustrated with the Christian life when we're trying to do it in our own effort. Again, I'm going to set a goal. I'm going to have self-control in this area. I'm going to have self-control. And then, and then you turn around, and without even knowing it, you look back, and I took it, I smoked it, I touched it, I said it, I clicked it, I bought it. I, I can't not believe that I ate the whole box of donuts, right, or whatever. And so, um, and, and when we fail, if I don't know if you've noticed this, but when we fail on doing the things that we know God's asked us to do and how he's asked us to be, when we fail, isn't it crazy that the enemy will minimize the offense on the front end? Like, as the temptation comes, enemy begins to tell you, it's not that big a deal. It's okay. Everybody does it. It's good. You begin to justify your sin, begin to justify your actions. Why? Because he minimizes it on the front end. Then what happens when you fail? Same voice now takes your failure and, and makes that your identity. You are a failure. You will never get better. You will never have a better marriage. You will never succeed financially. You will never get healthy. You will never. And all of a sudden, the things that you've done, you begin to assume that identity. And you're not what you've done. You are not what you've done. You're who God says you are. And so, but, but the enemy tries to connect our failure with our identity. And, and the key to really changing, and again, repenting, changing the way that we think about ourselves and the way that we think about God, it starts with our identity first and foremost, if you and I want to grow in the area of self-control, you have to start, you just have to realize who you are and who God is. This is Paul. He says this in verse 24 of that passage we already read. He says, hey, when I, when I can't do the things that I want to do and I do the things that I don't want to do, I am a miserable person. Again, that becomes my identity. Your Bible may say, I am a wretched man because I'm bad and I'm pathetic and I can't do what I want to do and I end up doing the wrong thing. And then you just enter in this cycle of shame and this is where most of us live because most of us are trying to navigate self-control with behavior modification. Cycle of shame looks like this. I'm bad. I'm just, I screwed up and I'm bad. I got to try harder. Let me just try, I just try a little bit harder. I'll do a little bit more. And then our willpower weakens. Again, you may make it whatever length of time that you make it. And then when your willpower weakens, inevitably you fail again. And then you go, I'm bad. 
And then the cycle starts all over because, again, it's primarily about your weakness. It's about your behavior. It's about your works, which is a terrible approach. And so we live in this space of shame, and we begin to take on this identity that the enemy tells us we're never going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And so uh, we sin, we lose control, and then we fall into this cycle of shame. And behavior modification is exhausting. It is exhausting to try and project gentleness. It is exhausting to try and project kindness or love or like be good but in my own effort rather than like real transformation. So not me pretending like those are the things that I want, but like actually wanting those things is what God wants to give you. And I know that feels crazy because none of us live there. We're all growing in it. And I know for there's many of us just like the rest of us is going, but really? Like, yeah, he desires to give you soul transformation where you no longer have to, like, manage or mitigate or just, like, you're, you're, not, you're not playing scared, but you're, like, he just gives you over to a new heart and a new mindset. And you and I both need a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light because, again, behavior modification is exhausting. I need a power source outside of me when it comes to self-control. And so... Um, the thought is when we fail, and you will fail, is uh, I just can't do it. I can never be different. Something's wrong. Something's not working. Something is missing. But it's not something that's missing. It's just someone is missing. And, and this is what Paul tells us in Scripture. And so basically, you and I need the, the power of Christ in our life. And, and like if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you need a relationship with Jesus. And those of you who are in relationship with Jesus, you need to abide in that relationship you need to be reminded that he is the source of strength in your life. And you need to operate. Paul gives us this language of staying in step with the spirit. It's this ongoing process. Some of us have gone on a walk with Jesus. Like, oh, I remember we went on a walk one time. Like, you need to walk daily with Jesus. You need to keep in step with him. And so here's what Paul says. Here's the anecdote for us in Romans 7, uh, 24 and 25. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And he says this, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul preaches a great message, even in his brokenness and his sin, his inability to control things. He preaches a great message and he says, who can rescue me? And then he says, Jesus has rescued me. And it is shifting our mindset off of our works and our behavior and our ability to keep the rules and on to his finished work and who he is and what he's offered us. It keeps our minds. It, it's like. It's like thinking about, it's the difference between primarily thinking, I got to love God. I got to love God more. I got to love God more. How, how am I doing at loving God? Sunday, whoo, Sunday's great. Let's go, right? We're loving God on Sunday. And then Monday's like, okay, cool. We're still kind of riding off fumes of Sunday. And then Tuesday's like, whatever. And then, th- you know, Wednesday, and we just kind of do this number throughout the course of our week because we're focused on our ability to love God instead of, here's where we need to re- redirect our attention. What if we looked at God's love for us? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's not subject to me and my ability to keep whatever rules or be good enough. And he's not mad at you. He desires more for your life. And so what if I fundamentally shift the way that I think about God, fall in love with him, establish this relationship, and begin to abide and begin to just a daily discipline of walking along with him? And so there's so many things that he has for us, so many promises that he has for us as followers of him. And so it starts with identity. 
And the enemy wants you to think that you are what you did. You're bad because you failed, but you are not what you did, and you are not what other people say you are or who they say you are. You're not even who you say you are because you're bad at self-talk. Some of you are really bad at self-talk. You are who God says you are. So in Christ, like once I surrender my life to Jesus, I am now, it's no longer about what I think or anybody else. It's now what Jesus, who he says I am. And in Christ, this is who he says we are. He says that we're forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7. In him, we have the forgiveness of sins. He says that you're free. This is John 8, 36. If the son sets you free, you're going to be free indeed. He says that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That is such a good word. Romans 8, 1. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says that you and I, get this, this is crazy. Even in our brokenness, we get to be ambassadors for Christ. You and I get to like, we get to, he, he saves us and then he's like, cool, will you help me be a part of this thing that I'm doing in, in, in the restoration of all things, making all things new again? Would you help me and join me in that effort in building the kingdom? And we're like, me? He's like, yeah, you. It's like, I get picked last every time, man. Like, I didn't, even get, I didn't even make the kickball team. He's like, no, you. I want you. Um, that's what I want. And so we get to be ambassadors for Christ. This is uh, 2 Corinthians. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. That's how big of a deal it is. And then he says that we're called and set apart. John 17, 19. For them I sanctify myself, Jesus says. Why do I sanctify myself? Jesus says, for them. And then that they too may be truly sanctified. Again, I'm set apart not because of my goodness or my ability or my works or my own ability to control self or whatever. I'm set apart and I'm sanctified because of him and because of his work. But he's called us and he's going to sanctify us. Romans 8.10, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. He says you can do all things, anything that God calls us to do, he can do uh, through Christ. Philippians 4.13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And then the Bible tells us that, that we're not going to be tempted beyond, like you're not going to be tempted in sin and self-control and things like that beyond what God will allow for you to be tempted. When it comes like, basically he's saying by my spirit, you, any situation, you can, you can say no. You can delay gratification. You can, you can say no to the thing that you want right now for the thing that you want most. He said, but, but I'm going to give you my, it's going to be me primarily working in you. And so the whole idea is that the more you know who you are, the more you know what to do. It's not behavior modification. It is spiritual transformation for me to, to operate in an identity that says I belong to Jesus, which is way different than I'm going to be good. Or I'm not going to do bad. Or here's all the things I'm going to like. No, I belong to him. Like when I come, when I give my life to Christ and I surrender my life to him, he owns it all. And so like the whole idea is, man, I belong to him. Some of you need to even just say that. If you don't do anything else today or hear anything else I say, you just need to just say, you need to take a minute and just say, I belong to Jesus. Like if I'm a follower of Jesus, if I'm made a decision to follow him. I belong to him. I belong to Jesus, which means every conversation I have, mm, every, every thought I think, every opportunity to put him on display, every opportunity to, again, step into growth in all the area that is the fruit of the spirit, like it, where I go, what I watch, what I listen to. Oh yeah, I belong to Jesus. All right, this is, this is what he's asking us. This is how we become more like Christ. 
And so how do we live this out when we're not just in church on Sunday, but just life in general? What does that look like? Paul tells us in Galatians 5.16, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, which is to say, I'm going to give you an opportunity daily to, to experience growth in self-control. Here's how it works. I'm going to give you something that you may want in the immediate, but you know good and well you want something better in the future. You have an opportunity. And then I'm going to remind you, because the Holy Spirit will tell you, I know this is not just me, and also it's biblical, right? The Holy Spirit would just be like, all right, all right, let's see what happens. Let's see how it's going. What, are you going to eat the marshmallow? Or are you going to wait for two? Or you're like, what, what are we going to do? And so... That, that's what he gives us an opportunity to do. And he's speaking to us. And this walking by the Spirit is basically, hey, God's already told me some things in his word. I already know what he said. Many of you already know. And, and even if you don't know, there's still, the Holy Spirit will still speak to you about things that you don't even know yet. That you can, but he'll give you application for what he's already said. So as you're speaking to people, as you're spending time with people, as someone, as someone cracks that joke that's inappropriate, you know, like, ah, I don't know if I like, instead of like, like or, or spending time or doing things or exposing yourself to things that you just know, this probably is not good for you. Instead of me trying to manage my sin, again, I'm just going to trust God in that moment and say, hey, I'm going to trust you with this moment. And then he's like, awesome, great choice. Now I'm going to continue to grow, grow you in this. Here's what it looks like for, um, in, in, the, in this passage. It says, it says that you will not gratify the desires of flesh. That word, the Greek word is sarks. So when it's talking about flesh, it's not talking about meat and bones. It's talking about sinful desires. Sarks is all about just your sinful nature. Again, it's used a lot in the New Testament. And here's what the Apostle Paul says about it in Philippians 3. He says, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ, and who put no confidence in the flesh... When he says no confidence, he means stop leaning on your ability to manage your sin because you're not good at it and you can't hold it up. Put no confidence in your flesh. Put, put more confidence in what God says, who God says you are, and what God asks you to do and the promises that he has in his word and trust him with every situation. Again, don't, put your, don't, put, don't lean on your ability to manage the situation. Because some of us, that's how we deal with our sin. And so we're struggling in a particular area and we think it's not a big deal. I'm just going to manage it. It's just, again, it's behavior modification. I'm just going to, I'm just going to not do it. Instead of actually applying God's word in our life. And so don't put confidence in your willpower. We're going to walk by the spirit. That word walk in the original language, I like it too, because the word walk in the original language, it means a, it's, a, it's a present tense verb. It means the continuous, regular action. Again, it is walking. It's not, I went on a walk one time, or we walk once a month, or what it's like. No, we walk every hour. We're walking. And every situation that you're in is an opportunity to love and serve the people in front of you and not make it about you and trust Christ with every relationship, your marriage, your kids. And I know it's hard. And it's like, it never turns off. It never turns off. <laughs> but here's the cool thing. You grow in it. So the more you do it, the more he gives you over to more of himself and the more you trust him. This is what it looks like to belong to Jesus. So instead of shame cycle, it looks like this. 
It's the I belong to Jesus cycle. Again, I've trusted him with my life. I belong to him. And so it means I have to depend on the Holy Spirit. Again, God's already spoke to me in his word, and then the Holy Spirit's going to give me application for it daily. And then as I trust God, I'm walking by the Spirit. As I trust him, it builds my faith. Because there's one area of my life that I may be struggling in, and then I hand him a little bit, and I'm going, okay, I'm going to actually do what you tell me to do in this area. And then he's like, cool, here's the promise. And you're like, oh, snap, that worked. And so, and so you're like, all right, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to add a little bit more in that area. And then over the course of time, you're like developed and mature in an area of your life. And then he's like, cool, now let's focus on this. And you're like, okay, now, all right, okay. You know, but, he's, but there's this constant pruning, sharpening. There's this constant becoming more like Jesus. And it's not a, the thought is, man, it's a painful exercise, because that's what, the way most of us think about our sin is we think only in terms of shame or fear instead of God is not mad at you. God is not mad at you, and there's not a single person that you will ever meet that has arrived, that is, that is perfect, that it doesn't need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. So what if instead we said, okay, here's, how, here's all the areas I need Jesus, and then here's all the things I need God to work on in my life. I'm going to trust him as I can. He's going to lead me through that process and not judge one another, but I belong to Jesus. God, lead me through this process, and I, I get to become more like him because of the Spirit of God on the inside of me. Again, just like every fruit, everything we've talked about in this series, I cannot in my own effort be more like Jesus. He has to transform me. He has to make my heart change, which means a couple things. I have to ask him to do it. I have to desire it. Some of you, that's where we start. You need to ask God to do in your life what only he can do in your life. And some of you, you have people in your life right now asking for you. Parent, spouse, somebody like somebody's interceding on your behalf because in, you know, in your own stubborn headedness, you're just like, whatever, I'm not doing that. And then people are just, <laughs> please, Lord, change them. Right. And so, uh, but that's the, that's the whole idea. I'm going to ask God to do things in my life that I can't do in my own strength. And then as I ask him, He's going to show me all the opportunities that I have to build self-control. I trust him. It grows my faith. I hand him more. This is what it is to belong to Jesus. And so depend on the spirit. Depend on him. And then it builds our faith. And because we belong to Jesus, Jesus is empowering us to become more like him. We wake up one day and we say, man, I belong to Jesus. And I'm not reading my Bible today because I have to or to check a box. I'm not praying because I feel obligated and I'm garbage at it. And people tell me I have to pray and it's just like a thing. Like I'm not doing those things out of duty. But over the course of time, what happens is, again, I belong to Jesus. I get to do this. Like I get to know more about who he is. And what's crazy is when I learn more about who he is, I realize who I am. And when I pray with him, he answers my prayer. And when I ask him for things in his name, in his agenda, he actually comes through and answers my prayer. Like, and, and so there's this thing that was once a duty becomes a delight, and now all of a sudden it's the desire of me because I belong to Jesus. I like to spend time with him, and as I get to know him, it reinforces my identity, and I'm becoming more like him. And because self-control is a gift produced in and through us by God's spirit, Jesus followers, for me and you, man, more than anybody else on the planet, we should be most hopeful about growing in self-control. 
You should not, as a matter of fact, this is the enemy. If you think there's an area of your life and you're just kind of resolved to always suck at that area, that is a lie from the enemy. I promise you, you need to just be like, that's not true. That's not true. I can claim everything that Christ has for me. I can claim everything that God wants for me. And I can experience the abundant life that Jesus paid for. I don't have to, I don't have, to have a cheap substitute. And I don't have to sell out. And, and so and the reason why is because we're empowered by the spirit of the one who, this is Jesus. This is the God that we serve. And so he, he, his life is without sin is what scripture tells us. In 1 Peter 2, it says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He stayed the course even when sweat came like, it came like drop of blood. It's high priestly prayer. This is hours from his, je- his death, his crucifixion. Really, hours from his taking on the weight of the world. Your sin, my sin, atoning for our sin. And he's, he's praying and asking God, hey, what, you know, if we can avoid this moment, we're going to avoid this moment. And yet self-control to the point of drops of blood. He could have called 12 legions of angels, what the scripture says, but he had the, the wherewithal to rebuke the false charges against him or to defend himself. He didn't try and defend himself. Self-control. When reviled, he didn't revile in return. They spit in his face. They struck him. They slapped him. They scourged him. In every trial and temptation, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That's what scripture tells us. Even to the point of being obedient to death on a cross. And that is self-control. And here's what's wild. Jesus leaves, ascends, goes to the Father, says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you a helper. I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to empower you with my spirit. The only thing better than me walking alongside of you, doing ministry with you, is literally giving you my spirit. Not a fear, but a power, love, self-control. You have, I have, available to us the Spirit of God who is going to give us the self-control the supernatural. Again, it's not me trying to manage my sin. He's going to give you over to self-control in a way that he actually transforms your heart. How amazing would it be to just ask God, God, would you just transform me, give me your perspective, change my heart in these areas, and then to grow into the likeness of Christ. Things that used to be so heavy, things that used to just wear you out and literally kill you. Now, all of a sudden, his yoke is easy. Now, all of a sudden, his burden is light. That's what he wants for us. That's what it's like. So I, I, as we pray today and we close, I want you to just think, I'm doing the same thing. Just ask the Holy Spirit, what are the areas of my life that I lack self-control? What are the areas that I sell out? And instead of, the wanting, instead of getting the thing that I want most, I settle often for the thing that's just immediate. But God, you desire great things, again, exceedingly and abundantly more than I could ask imagine. You, you desire that for my life. Help me to not settle for a cheap substitute or less than what you paid for. You want this for my life, for my relationships, for my marriage, for my home, for my influence, for my impact. God desires for me and you to be an extension of just the revival that he wants, both in our community and around the world. Like, there's no off switch to it. I promise you, this is what he wants for our lives. And so be thinking about the whole series, man. Hey, God, do a work on the inside of me. Again, you have to ask. I have to ask. We have to desire. God, would you transform me? Would you help me to grow? Help me to look more like love and joy, peace and patience. God, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Would you help me to look more like your son? And then help, help just say, Jesus, would you help me to see all the areas that I'm just missing out on the self-control that you want for my life? 
Give me the courage of conviction. Help me to walk by the Spirit. It's a discipline. It's a daily act. It's not, I don't download it and I'm done. It's, I'm walking with you until I meet you face to face. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the way you love us, God. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the opportunity to gather as a church family today and be reminded once again that you desire amazing things for your kids. You want us to have great things. You want us to have uh, an amazing life. You want us to have uh, an experience with you, your presence, and just an impact. You, you desire for us to shift our perspective, help us to love you with everything that we have, and help us to love the people around us so well. And that, that gives us over to this abundant life that you want for every single person in this room. And so I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for this series. God, I'm grateful for life change. And, I, and Jesus, I'm, I'm grateful that you are faithful even when I'm not. And that you modeled self-control and by your spirit, you've actually given me access to that, that spirit of power and that spirit of love and that spirit of self-control. And so if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never really surrendered your life to Christ, which is what we're talking about today. This idea, you never had that moment where you said, I belong to Jesus. Like, I belong to him. Not, I know things about him or I've done religious things. Or, yeah, I like the idea of the cross and, and crucifixion. I like the idea of heaven. But no, I belong to him. And you need that moment. And just today, God's working on you and just helping you to see all the areas that you fall short. Hey, here's all the brokenness. Here's all the sin in your life. And you're trying to manage it in your own strength and your own control. And you can't. You need Jesus. You need a Savior. But you also need a Lord to establish your steps, to walk by the Spirit, to show you where to go, what to say, how to act, what to think. Like You need that in your life. And so if you're here today and you want to surrender your life to Jesus with all of our heads bowed, and, and you want to make that decision, I'm choosing Christ today. Just right where you sit, would you just raise your hand and just say, that's me. I need to surrender my life to Christ. I need what he has to offer me. I want what God has for me. Amen. Is there anybody else? Just, yeah. I need it. I know I need him. Amen. Yeah, just right where you sit, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. God, thank you so much for saving me. Thank you so much for loving me. And now, by your spirit, would you just help me to have control, become more like Jesus, say no to some things so I can have a better yes, delay gratification, God, so that I can experience all the amazing things that you want for me in the future. I know the future that I want for my life. Help me to say yes to that, the thing that I want most rather than the thing that I want right now. And give me eyes to see people the way that you see people. God, grateful for this series, and I pray you take control of our lives. Do in us what you can only do in your strength, Lord. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.